Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash beingboss, that's gusto.com slash being boss. Hello and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson and I'm Kathleen Shannon. I'm Elizabeth Zialto and I'm Being Boss. Today we're talking about untaming yourself and getting into your body to make decisions with Elizabeth D'Alto. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. All right, boss, it's never too early to start thinking about end-of-year financials. One of my favorite things about FreshBooks Cloud Accounting is that it keeps me organized year-round so that tax time is always a breeze. I can pull a profit and loss report that tells me exactly how much money I made and how much money I spent. I can organize my expenses by category for my accountant, and I can see the bottom line of my business and whether or not I hit my goals for the year. It is never too late to begin to get organized with your money, and FreshBooks Cloud Accounting was designed just for you. They have your creative mind in mind. It's intuitive, it's easy, and it's going to keep you organized. Try FreshBooks Cloud Accounting for free by going to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Ah, let's jump in. Elizabeth, we are so excited to have you on Being Boss. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's just dive right in. What do you do? Oh, man, the, the, <laughs> the million-dollar question, right? Right. So what's really interesting, you know how everyone is, like, trained to, like, have their elevator pitch? I typically change my answer to that question depending on who I'm talking to. So here's what I'm going to go with for you all. I help women untame themselves. What does that mean? So we're all raised in this interesting culture in the 20th slash 21st century where we're really programmed and conditioned to follow rules, um, spoken and unspoken cultural agreements and societal norms. And if anyone's listening, not watching, I'm like doing air quotes around norms, especially as women that are in a lot of ways very patriarchal in nature. And it has to do about like following the way things should be or are supposed to be, which for the most part doesn't help any of us align with like who we really are at our core or in our soul, which is what I mainly talk about. And so it's really all centers around this idea that everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you. So coming back to like what makes you you and just questioning all the, the conditioning and programming, some of it is aligned for you. And a lot of it is really not. 
So when, when we are in our lives and, you know, we find ourselves in jobs we don't want to have, or even those of us who have businesses, and I know your show is Entrepreneurs, which is awesome, um, and even sometimes your business gets to a place where you're like, hi, this is not why I became an entrepreneur. Like, we have to make these adjustments, but we really have to see why is it, like, what's out of alignment? And so by just getting really clear on our own personal values, missions, standards, what are we for, what are we against? Um, that that's deeply true for us, not based on like everyone else around us or our culture, family of origin, religion, or anything like that. It, it actually just makes life more efficient, more enjoyable, allows us to be more discerning um, and really rooted and grounded into who we are rather than, again, who we think we're supposed to be, who culture wants us to be, and all those things. Oh, that's some good stuff. I have a question about... Like taking the actions, though, because what you're saying is pretty much we've all been tamed, each and every one of us in some yeah. way, depending on where we're from and who raised us and all of those things. Um, but there must be like actions for untaming or maybe even before we get there, like how do you connect with where in your life you need to become most untamed? Ooh, yeah, I love that question. I kind of want to add to that a little bit too, Emily, because I feel like I grew up very like, I do what I want. Youngest <laughs> sibling. I came out of the womb feeling wild, right? And I was also surrounded by feminists. My dad never was like, you can do anything a boy can do because it was just a given that I could yeah. do anything a boy could do. You know, like that's how feminist my family was growing up. But I also feel like there's this layer of awareness that like is a little more nuanced. And as I get older, as I evolve, as my identity evolves, I become a little more aware and I start to peel back these like onion layers of like, why do I shave my legs? Or, you know, just right. really specific questions like that. And I'm starting to see, like Emily is saying, is that there are some areas where either I could use some um, untaming or at least some awareness around where I have been tamed and at least knowing whether or not that was my choice. Right. Okay. So that's the thing. Cause I'm with you. I pretty much came out quite wild. I was always the kid that like did whatever I wanted. My mom, I have always have the story of my mom. I'm like in elementary school and my mom is telling some story about being at work and she says, yeah, I just decided not to care what that person thinks. And she looks back at me, we were in the car and she goes, I learned that from you. And I'm thinking, I'm the kid here. How has my mom learned anything from me? So I was always wild in that sense. And kind of like you were just saying, Kathleen, I, um, my family was very, my mom had four sisters, like very powerful, very intelligent, all successful in their own way. My dad also was mostly raised by his mom, his aunts, and his grandmother. So uh, when people thinking women could do anything was like quite common in my family as well. I was also raised with a religious upbringing though. So what I didn't realize until much later, it was like, you could do anything you want, as long as it doesn't step outside of these bounds, which we think are appropriate. So there's really intricate, nuanced things. And so to answer your original question, Emily, it's about just questioning and, and like kindly questioning, right? It's not about like, damn the man, fight the power, which by the way, there's a lot of that going on right now too, and I'm into it. But um, kindly and gently, just looking at things, kind of like you just said, Kathleen, going, huh, is that totally mine? Or did I just pick it up like secondhand smoke and embody it without really realizing? And so... 
my primary mode for untaming is to connect with the body because I know you guys, I've actually listened to the episode where you had Brene Brown on. Brene talks about how for women, the number one source of shame is our bodies. And so when we can connect in with our body and realize how much of the programming and shaming happens around strictly its physical appearance and her capability to produce or create life or please others, whether that's aesthetically pleasing, sexually pleasing, or whatever, and, and, and really get up into like the feminine mysteries of that like this body is capable of so much more beyond what we understand and, and access our intuition. So many people these days are gaining awareness around their sensitivity. They're identifying as empathic. And, and how do they interact with like being deeply feeling people, especially during volatile times, which the times we're living through right now are more volatile than times I'm about to be 34 years old. So I would say probably the most volatile time in my lifetime with all these things that are coming up to be healed, solved, transformed, transmuted, which is pretty cool. And so when you can get into your body, you can really learn to speak what I call your embodied language which helps you to understand when your senses are communicating with you, like call them your spidey senses, your intuition, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, when you meet someone and you're like, I got a funky feeling about that person. You're not being judgmental. Judgment happens in the mind. Anyone who's into like self-development or personal self-help work or anything is used to being conscientious about not being judgmental, but your body discerns. Your mind judges. Sometimes your body is literally like, nope, let's get out of here. Something's not right. Or, oh man, why do I feel like I've known this person forever? Or, you know, you're faced with a business decision and something in your system is like excited. It's inexplicable. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But you're like, I don't know why, but we got to make this choice. All of those things, just paying closer attention to them so that like you almost have this fluency in the language that your body is constantly speaking to you. Does that make sense? Yes, I have so many questions. The one that comes top of mind is like, how do I know that's my body telling me this person might be, I don't know, a serial killer? (laughs) I started listening to that podcast, My Favorite Murder, and I'm so freaked out. My body is like, there's someone waiting for you around the corner, or did I just have too much coffee this morning? So I guess what I'm really trying to say here is that whenever it comes to listening to your body, one, I do think that that's something that we've been conditioned to not listen to as much, like even from a kid, you know, and becoming a parent has made me so much more aware of this. Emily, I don't know if you've experienced this with your kid at all, where they're like, I don't want to do that thing. And you force them to do the thing, whether it's hugging a grandparent or, I mean, I think that's a big thing in parenting right now. It's like, don't make your kid hug anyone they don't want to hug, which I think is really cool. And I kind of try to embrace that. But things like, um, I don't know, like my kid doesn't want to go to dance class. And I'm like, I promise it's awesome. Or he doesn't want to go outside and look at the eclipse. And I'm like, I swear this is good for you. It's going to be amazing. Um, so I think that we are conditioned for better or worse to kind of listen to other people over us starting at a very young age, like our parents. Um, but also I think that there are other variables involved, like our diet. And I know that for me, whenever I really clean things up and I'm eating really well, I'm able to tap into that wisdom of my body a little bit better. I'm able to tell what is actually intuition and what is that I ate something crappy and it's just 
<laughs> responding negatively in my body. So what do you think about that? So I want to start with like the thing you said. You have been listening to that podcast and now you're saying, my body is telling me. That's not your body. That's your mind. And so this is one of the intricate things. Another thing that I say is I help people get out of their head and into their body. And it's really about being able, again, to discern, okay, what is actually coming from my thoughts, whether they're very loud or it's subtle, and what is actually coming from my body? Because if you're feeling nervous, it's often because you thought something that made you feel nervous. Does that make sense? Yes. Versus if you're just walking down a street and you get like a feeling that wasn't preceded by a thought, that is an actual body sensation. Does that make sense? Totally. So what it requires though, which most people struggle with a little bit and or aren't willing to do is slowing down enough to pause and take the moment and go, was that, did this start as a thought or was it an actual instinct or feeling? And in that second, Kathleen's murder comes around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, you guys, I just looked over and my back door is open. It's like open a crack. I swear to God right now. Okay, but back to sorry to take this off topic. It's amazing. Um, back to that. I I guess that the way that I would really relate to this is chemistry. So even chemistry with places. Emily and I were talking about this recently. We get to travel a lot for work, which is incredible, and we have different chemistry with different places. And we have some mojo with New Orleans. That's why we host our vacations there. We do our photo shoots there. We like hanging out in New Orleans, and we can't really describe what it is. Like, of course, we could talk about the architecture, but it's this feeling that we get. And so along with having chemistry with people, you can have chemistry with places. And so what you're talking about here, it's making me wonder if we could even think about having chemistry with business ideas or projects or collaborations. That's essentially how I approach everything. So um, many years ago, I think I think it might have even been before she gave the TED Talk, or maybe it was after, and it was certainly before she wrote Big Magic. I saw Elizabeth Gilbert speak about her idea that like this field of ideas floating around, and then when you pick one, it's kind of like you choose it as a dance partner and you go for it. It's that, right? So you're using the word chemistry. We could use the word resonance. And another way to think about these body sensations or your body and body language, like I said, is just feeling for resonance, knowing how resonance registers in your own system, right? When something is like, you get those like flutters in your body, but it's fear rather than this like nervous anticipatory excitement. That's like a yes, right? Whether something's like a, ooh, no, be careful about that. Or something's like a, I know it makes you uncomfortable, but you should probably check it out, you know? So do you have any like a beginner places to start checking in with yourself? So if you're one of those people who is possibly rolling your eyes or very unconcerned in a lot of ways about what we're talking about, like someone who really needs to do this for their first time or really needs to start the practice, where is a good place for someone to begin checking in in that way? So yeah, the, I have this yes, no truth practice, which people can grab it. We have a resource page because this is exactly what happens. People are like, I want to know more, but I don't know if I believe you. (laughs) 
So if you go to wildswimmovement.com forward slash resources, one of the downloads there is a yes, no truth practice because in its simplest form, if you could just start getting familiar with what yes feels like in your body, what no feels like in your body, and then when you're in the presence of truth, because you know how sometimes something just strikes you and you have no idea you cannot explain why it's so poignant. Maybe that's how you feel when the, like, the plane touches down in New Orleans or something. That's truth, right? Like There's a couple of points in my journey when I can uh, think of I, I was New York City 2012. I'm reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. There's this one paragraph, one. It wasn't even a full page about women being burned during like the Christian Inquisition, something like that in Europe. And I just started sobbing. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll do a little more research on this. This clearly hit me in an inexplicable way. So yes, no, and truth are just great, great, great places to start because you can, if that's all you ever could feel in your body, you would still be getting so much valuable insight in your day to day. What's the difference between yes and truth? So it's really just a minor nuance. But so for example, like that book passage that I was reading, that was clearly truth, not yes, because it's just like re something really getting your attention that there's significance for you there. That's how I would describe truth. Whereas a yes is going to be more like an answer to a yes, no question. Gotcha. Love that. I feel like all my truth moments have happened on travel or like seeing something be like beautiful, like just being struck by, I could almost replace the word truth with unadulterated beauty. Yeah. Awe, just right? Awe. Incredible. Okay, cool. I like that. All right. So I want to know then what life looks like then for someone who has become untamed. Okay. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I just moved to Malibu, California eight days ago. Oh, timely. Like, that's some amazing. Or do you just have the song, Miley's song on repeat? No, I've never even listened to the whole thing, to be honest you with you. You should listen to it. <laughs> Guilty I, but, pleasure. But I, tr I tried. I, I, I couldn't get through the whole thing. <laughs> it wasn't my jam. Um, so back in 2006, I visited Malibu for the first time and, and felt probably similar to how you guys are describing Philly, New Orleans. It was just like... <gasps> Like my breath, I was just in awe. I could barely breathe the whole time because it was like, we need like, and it didn't really make sense. It's not like you know, there's there's far more like beautiful places in the world, ancient. The architecture is better, but there was something here, and so I hadn't come back until 2013. And I had this really pivotal moment like on El Matador Beach. And so when I did my rebrand for Wild Soul Movement in 2014, we came back. We did part of the photo shoot on that specific beach. So I've had this connection with Malibu. And, you know, I've been living in San Diego since October of 2014. And last September, I got out of a relationship, moved into my own place, signed a lease on September 30th. And I'm like, all right, I'll at least be here for the next year and then I'll see what I want to do. And so... Around May, I was just like itching. I did a lot of traveling this year. Like I really didn't want to be in San Diego. I was kind of wishing I'd only signed a six-month lease and I was just done. You know when you're like complete with something, whether it's a place, a person, a business engagement, whatever, you're like, I'm just done. Um, and so I came up here for a weekend just to feel it out. So this is an example. Emily, to answer the question, 
I am more committed to feeling into things or feeling things out than I am to analyzing them with just my mind. So I had to get my body here. I had to spend a weekend and kind of feel into what would it be like if I lived here and, and not just think about it, but feel it. Um, and so I came up in May and while I was here, here's another one, always keeping eyes open for synchronicities and like magical moments, seeming coincidences, but stuff that's like, if I really believe that I'm like communing with life and life is communicating right back with me, what am I keeping my eyes out for? Three amazing synchronicities, I won't spend the whole podcast talking about it, happened that weekend while I was here that were just like undeniable yeses for like, should you live here, Elizabeth? Yup. And so I'm like, okay. Message received. So in May, I had decided I was moving here. Okay, wait. Let's dig into the synchronicities. <laughs> okay. <bit> because <laughs> this is my word for the year, or it's something that I I'm, I'm love synchronicity. It's one of my favorite things. And I think that especially for people who are new to the idea of synchronicity or sacred coincidences or divine coincidence, um, I think that it's really actually important to show, like to illustrate, if you don't mind sharing, what it actually literally looks like and to not really question it, to really believe it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll tell you. Um, The first one was when I was thinking about moving back up to LA, because I've lived around here before, not in Malibu, but uh, Venice and Sherman Oaks. I was looking to see if there was a Soho house in Malibu. If you guys, if anyone listening doesn't know what Soho house is, it's like a members club, primarily for like entrepreneurs and creative type people. Cause it's something, one of the reasons I wanted to come back up to the LA area was to be around like a more happening city where people are doing things at like a higher level, creatively, skill wise, bigger thinking, uh, more possibility. And so um, I was like, cool, let me see if there's a Soho house. And when I looked it up, I didn't see a Soho house in Malibu. So I was up here. I got to love Instagram stories. I was posting that I was in Malibu. My friend Cassandra messages me. She's like, oh, my God, if you're still around tomorrow, come meet me at Little Beach House. Little did I know, Little Beach House is the friggin' Soho house in Malibu. I didn't know there was one. I'm from New York originally. When I moved to California in 2013, I've kind of always had this image in my mind of this, like, ideal working space. I love like I have a home office, but I love to work at like a coffee shop or like a swanky hotel lobby. So I'd always kind of envisioned this like coffee shop meets swanky hotel lobby, but it's right on the ocean, right? I walk into this little beach house and I'm like, oh my God, this is like all the things combined, everything I've always been imagining. Unbelievable. And there's like outdoor places and there's fireplaces and there's cozy couches too, right? Not just like tables, but that was a big part of my inner vision was like like cozy chairs and couches and not just like uncomfortable tables. So that happened. I'm obsessed with dolphins. And while we were there, like it's not uncommon to be anywhere on the coast of California and see dolphins. So I'm not going to be like synchronicity. The dolphins though, stopped and basically put on a show. They were like (laughs) jumping around, leaping out of the water. I've never seen anything like it. So it was almost like they were flirting with me and being like, hi, do you think you want to live here? And then last but not least, like this all happened in like the same like 90 minutes. I get an email from a friend of mine. She's not like a super close friend. She's someone I talk to every once in a while. And she's like, the subject line is this is going to be weird. And I'm like, ooh, I can't wait. I open the email and she's like, so I had a dream about you. 
And I've only had two other dreams like this in my life that were this vivid. And both times, she's a celebrity trainer, so pretty much name someone in Hollywood and she's trained them. She's like, both times, I dreamt that my clients were pregnant before they knew. And when we did the math on it, my dreams happened the week they conceived. So I'm not saying this is prophetic, but I'm not saying it's not. And her dream was that we were in Malibu and that I was telling her I wanted to move here. And specifically, we were in Point Doom. And guess where I live? (laughs) Oh, my God. So So I called her. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Well, no. So obviously, you moved to Malibu. I moved. I was like, it was like, yes, yes, yes. Bam, bam, bam. It was like, okay, life, universe, God, angels, whoever it is. Message received. Love that. Yeah. So... There is something to be said, possibly, about just feeling (laughs) and being present and knowing what you want enough to listen to your body for it. Yeah. Yeah. And not just your body, but all the synchronicities. Do you think that there is a connection between being able to tap into the wisdom of your body and the intuition that is in your body and then also seeing external validation of that. Yeah. And I think this is why I really focus on the senses. So like the, the connection to the body being all of your senses, because it's like, there's this quote from a book I love called the book of love by Kathleen McGowan, where uh, she says for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. So when you're open and willing to be connecting to your own intuition, um, there's also a willingness to be, again, just observing the life around you that's happening that might be unseen forces trying to communicate with you. And I know for some people, they're like, all right, this is too much of this woo-woo crap for me. It's fine. But some of you who are like curious, it's just like, just pay attention and see if it resonates. That's all I'm saying, right? I'm not saying you have to make meaning out of every single tiny little thing, but pay attention. And when you notice stuff, see if it resonates, which comes back to the body thing. Love that. I just decided to coin a new phrase for our for our tribe of people, and they are definitely woo curious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. If not full on woo-woo, they are woo curious for sure. <laughs> That's great. Dipping your toe in the woo pool. See if you like it. For sure. Oh. Okay. So (laughs) I'm curious to hear a little bit about, um, I mean, so you just mentioned that you're 34 and uh, just thinking about how our bodies change and how we experience the world around us through our bodies and what that means for our intuition. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like as our bodies evolve, obviously we're all still very young, so it's hard to say how we're going to be able to tap into our intuition whenever we're, you know, 90-year-old little ladies. But what's it going what how has this played into your journey, for example? I love this question because something I've been really thinking about lately is how like time on the field really matters. So I've had such a craving to spend time with older people because no matter what someone's belief systems are or anything, there's so much value in someone who just has done something for longer than you have. Even people in relationships, right? Like people who've been married for 20, 30 years, even if it's not the best marriage, they've still figured out how to keep something together. 
So there's something to be learned there. You know what I mean? And so um, one of my mentors a couple of years ago said this thing that I repeat all the time, which I love, which is that confidence comes from evidence. And so as we're endeavoring to connect more with ourselves and connect with our intuition, we can reflect back and notice times in our life where we did have a feeling about something and we either did listen to it and we're glad we did or ignored it and kicked ourselves for it. So we get to do some reflection and then as we move forward, use that as like (laughs) institutional data with like ourselves being the institution for what works and what doesn't. Sorry, I'm thinking. (laughs) This is is a lot. I like it though. I like it too. And mostly I think about the conversations we've had with some of the most successful people that we've had conversations with, one of the things that differentiates them from from everyone else who hasn't found that level of success usually comes down on some level to their ability to tap into their intuition. I can think of multiple people that I've either heard talks by or had conversations with where that is a point of conversation. And these are not like openly woo curious people or who are super woo woo people. These are business people who use their own thoughts and feelings and data gathered, whatever that may mean, to make decisions for themselves. And so it's not just about listening to other people, which is something that I know our crowd finds themselves doing probably more often than they should. Um, And it's not just about reading the latest business book or, you know, engaging with the latest blog post or podcast or whatever it is. It's not getting all that outside information. Sometimes it really is just listening to yourself. And again, I can think of so many conversations where that has been like just shoved in my face one more time in terms of Emily. Here you go. Here's like another example of why this is so important for you to not only just live your life as you want to, but build something to take all of the knowledge and data that you collect over however many years you've been doing the thing and use it to create something. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so I'm also super practical. I created an Oracle deck this year and the photographer uh, we were talking about, she's like, so how do you usually create things? And I'm like, well, you know, I kind of just tap into myself, say some prayers, sit in a meditation, you know, get the divine download or whatever you want to call it. And then I make a plan and execute it. So it's like, however it is that you're engaging with these things, I find there's so many people, you know, all the labels aside, woo, 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 curious. There's so many very practical, successful people who will just call it trusting their gut or going with their instincts. It doesn't matter what it's called. But I mean, there are many, many scientific studies done that can support this, that um, at the end of the day, decisions are made emotionally. They're not logical. We might get all the logical data to inform something, but all that's doing is informing it. Ultimately, decisions are emotional. This is, I forget where I read it. This is also many years ago. And I actually remember where I was when I was listening to it. I was like stepping onto the subway in New York City in Battery Park where I used to live. And um, because it was something about someone who had some kind of brain damage where that part of the brain, perhaps the prefrontal cortex, but don't quote me on that. I'm not science. I don't recall those details amazingly all the time, but it was like the, the part of the brain that does make those decisions um, was damaged. And so it was really interesting to navigate without that function. Interesting. Okay. I, 
I want to ask you if you've ever had an experience where your gut has said yes, you've maybe even experienced some synchronicities, and then it turned out miserably. Has that ever happened to you? This is amazing. Yeah. And because yes and I am so glad you asked this because just because you follow your gut or your intuition doesn't mean you're going to be guided down like the, the most magical path lined with butterflies, unicorns, and a pot of gold at the end of it. Sometimes we're going to be led down the path we need to go on so we can get our ass kicked a little bit so we can learn what we need to learn. And it's it's like training for the next thing or for where you really want to be or where you really want to end up. And for anyone who's ever started or run a business knows this, how many false starts do we all have in our businesses? But we couldn't have signed up for the invaluable learning we got by trying something that didn't work out had we not done it, Right. Totally. See, I had an experience and Emily's heard it so many times. I've shared it on this podcast before, but where I tried a new business venture, all signs pointed to yes. My gut said yes. Synchronicity was out of control. Amazing. And then it totally flopped. It was just a bad idea. And I, what I learned from it though, is I got very clear on what I am supposed to be doing and I was able to really give being boss my all and braid creative my all and really get clarity around, okay, this is what I need to be focusing on. Anything else might be a distraction. And then it helped really inform decisions down the line. Totally. That I can now say no to. But what I think it did do kind of is shake my confidence a little bit in trusting those signs. Right. Like, okay, yes, but am I about to get my ass kicked? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing where this is part of the programming and conditioning, right? We're so afraid to fail that we forget that often our best lessons come from we get when we have our face in the dirt. And so, and contrast, right? Contrast is such an incredible teacher. If you hadn't had that contrast, you couldn't have gotten so sharp and so clear on what you do want. Oh, this, okay, this brings me back to the untaming yourself mindset, Um, and especially around women in business, because that's who does make up the bulk of our listenership, though not all of them. Um, So I would love to hear from you, what are some of those rules that many of us are living by that you find most often and possibly (sighs) most need to be broken? Oh, because everyone else is doing it. This is how everyone else does it. This is how it's done. This is this expert who makes seven figures said that this is the way it's done. I, and I want to let you guys know, I'm quite untamed and I still get sucked into that sometimes, right? But again, it's contrast. Like I recently, at the time of recording this, I just wrapped up a launch for my core program about three weeks ago. And it was like putting my business through a filter And what came out on the other side was like, oh, look at all these things that we need to do better. So, um, and there were a couple things. Actually, mid-launch, I decided. I was emailing my list like, hey, sorry about that fast-acting bonus thing on the webinar. I decided that felt really crappy, and you all get the bonuses. Like, I'm not into that. I don't like it. You know, um, paid in full bonus. I didn't like that either. Which, by the way, if it works for people, great. But to come back to that resonance thing, I'm like, there's something for me about rewarding people who can pay in full, which also kind of feels like punishing people if they can't. And maybe I could just relate because for so many years of my life, I was the person who the only way I could have afforded to do something is if there was a monthly payment plan. And so, you know, 
there's obviously a little finance charge for that, which pays for like taking care of it on the business's end of things. But to like give more rewards to people because they could pay in full, it just didn't feel good. It didn't feel kind or considerate to me. And so, and there were a couple of things that I was like, oh, this is just the way you do it. This is what people do. And then I was like, not I, you know? And I'm like emailing my list. There were like three things during this launch that I was like, remember that thing I said the other day? I'm taking it back. We're doing it this way. Because I'm my wild soul is perking up. That's how I refer to like my intuition, higher self as my wild soul. I'm like, she's not into it, so we're not doing it anymore. Um, I closed my Facebook group with 5,000 people in it. Like all these things happen and I was like, not going there. Tell us about that, closing your Facebook group. Oh my goodness. It was, it's, you know, it's the second time I've done it. So now I've really learned. So back in 2013, I started a Facebook group and in August 2015, with 3,500 people in it, I closed it. The reason that time is because I had just started it on a whim and there was no container for it. There was no intention for it. It wasn't super curated and it had turned into a space where I felt like I was coaching people for free. Um, But then a couple months later, when I published my book, I opened another Facebook group with the intention of connecting around the content in the book and the content on the podcast because the podcast had been around for about six months at that point. And so that gave it more like purpose and direction. I got really clear on the guidelines. And so, but this past summer, there was just something that was so loud that it was like, it's time to let this go. Because energetically, even though I had a community manager in there, um, because I am a high feeling person, because I am super energetically sensitive, even if I'm not the one in there managing the day to day, I'm feeling taxed by holding space for 5,000 people. And perhaps it's because I know it's a little bit different in the business context because the nature of my work is like deeply personal, emotional. People are coming in there sharing some like very vulnerable things. Um, there's a level of responsibility, I feel. And again, like the the energetic container of it was just um, for the growth and the momentum that we have in the business. I literally just couldn't hold it anymore. And it was like, it's, it's time. And And also because everything I do is about empowerment and true empowerment to me is about being powered from within. So I can't empower people. I can provide tools and resources and philosophies and all these things so that people can make better choices, question things in their lives and empower themselves and do things differently. And so I was like, there's something, something started to feel like I was creating a comfortable space where people could feel like they took an action because they came into a Facebook group, they posted something, they got some feedback, they got some human connection, but are they actually making progress or are they just getting that hit that feels like they did something, but they didn't actually move a needle forward or in any kind of helpful or useful direction. And so I was like, I'm going to close this thing. What I also, what I didn't realize though, is that you can archive the Facebook group. So I just archived it, and when I do challenges throughout the year or specific trainings, I can open it back up with, like, focus and intention on a specific thing so it doesn't have to just be this ongoing space that sometimes feels nebulous, sometimes doesn't. You just hit on so many things that I've been hearing from some amazing online entrepreneurs and then things that Kathleen and I have been feeling ourselves with – with the growth of community online and how everything can look so vibrant but feel so draining. I think yeah. those things are – they 
feel disconnected, but they show up in the same places. And most of those are in Facebook groups where people are just showing up and doing things and being heard. But and especially with, you know, with our group, I think specifically, and this is where I'm connecting it, this idea of doing the work, doing the work does not involve hanging out in a Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's such an inclination to reach out before you reach in. Yeah. And then yes. that makes the reaching in oh, man, money. We're enabling, aren't we? And they, that's, <laughs> that's what I've been saying. I, oh my God. I've been like, it, I felt, I feel like it was intended to be a tool for empowerment and it became a tool for enablement. Yeah. Right. Enabling, like it, enablement. It started making me wonder how much you had people wanting you to untame them for them. And so, for example, our motto here at Being Boss is be boss, do the work. But whenever you're in a position as a coach or a consultant, I mean, maybe a coach more than anything, because as a coach, it's your job to guide people right. to the answers. As a consultant, you can pay me a healthy amount of money and I'll tell you exactly what to do. But as a coach, it really is about finding your own answers, right? And that's definitely the philosophy we take here at Being Boss. It sounds like the philosophy you take at untaming yourself and that untaming yourself is going to look a little different for everybody based on their own circumstances. Therefore, you can't do it for them. Right. We cannot give you a bulletproof business model. We cannot give you a formula for how many emails you need to send in a week to get success. And I'm sure that you can't tell someone exactly what to do to untame themselves or even more so untame them for themselves. And I feel like that's kind of the culture that these Facebook groups start to set up. Yeah. Well, and that's part of it too. I feel like I'm sure it's different for every community, but there's like a tipping point where it becomes diminishing returns. Right. And it's also, and we're going to talk business model for half a second. We're like reach in general, where I see so many people, so many really great online entrepreneurs who are building these really high revenue businesses with very large followings, but most of them feel more disconnected from their work at that point than whenever they are very carefully and thoughtfully nurturing a very small group of people who are very engaged and willing to buy and interact. And you're not making as much, but it's so much more fulfilling. I think that's like maybe one of those like business rules where like, grow really big and reach as many people as humanly possible. And the internet makes that hugely possible. Um, But whenever most of us stop and check in with ourselves, that can feel, can feel, and not always feel, that can feel the most inauthentic and like less good feeling for all the work that you put into whatever creative endeavor you're doing. I'm with you. So last year I started running teacher training because I was noticing where we're, all of our community connection is happening online and I'm only one person. So I can run a couple of retreats throughout the course of the year, but that's like how many people can come to a retreat um, throughout the course of the year, right? So um, I wanted to be able to create more of a ripple effect that's more engaged and more personal and intimate like you're describing. So like if I have women who can teach Wild Soul Movement classes or Wild Soul Movement weekend workshops or even retreats all over the world in different languages and countries where I don't speak the language, like then we can really, we could be having that ripple effect. We could be reaching more people, but it's happening at like a higher level of touch. And so this has been awesome. We graduated our first class in May 
and they've been teaching. Someone went and taught on someone else's retreat. Uh, I'm actually enrolling for teacher training right now, so it's cool to see the applications come in. And um, people do crave. As much as the internet allows us to connect in ways like this right now, we're on freaking Zoom. Um, we live across the country from each other, but we're all able to connect across state lines. Like, that's magnificent. And there's, like, how much cooler would it feel if we were all in the room together, you know? We've totally. dreamed about what that would look and feel like, for sure. <laughs> right? Netflix, holler at me. I want a TV show. Okay, so... <laughs> That's me putting out in there in the universe. That's like my version of let's get in a room together and have Netflix record it and then air it that way. Okay. So then my question about teacher training and business model and, you know, really shifting things based on it feeling right or not. Emily and I have made so many little pivots, even yeah. in being boss and how we run it, learning as we go and always checking in with what's working and what's not working and what just feels funny. And it is so validating to me whenever I have a funny feeling and I'm like, there's something about this I don't really like, but I can't articulate it. And then being able to talk that through with Emily and she's like, oh yeah, me too. Maybe it's this, this, and this. So one, having someone else to really talk to about these feelings that don't um, quite have words yet is pretty incredible. So this is to say we've had a lots of little pivots and ideas and we've purged things, we've added in new things, we've done lots of things, right? And so whenever you're talking about teacher training, I just start going down like the line of logistics for that. So how complicated was that for you to say, okay, I want to do teacher training? Like what were the good, what were the things about it that felt really good? And then what were the things about it that felt a little trickier? So teacher training was very, it didn't really feel tricky. I want to be super So there honest. wasn't any like, okay, now am I just beholden to my teachers? Or like, what if, what if a teacher messes up and then their clients are really upset and then they come directly to me? Was there any of that? This like, is Kathleen going worst, worst case, case scenario. Well, this I'm is just cool. the worst case scenario. Well, I, I, I appreciate people who have that critical thinking faculty because I don't. And so I actually just didn't think of any of those things. I was like, oh, divine inspiration. Well, Here's this the next is my idea. Gift. This is my this... gift to you. Start freaking out about <laughs> what happens. I'm still not going to do it. But Don't do um, it. I was like, listen, we're going to let this be easy. And, and here's what I said going into it. I'm like, my women know me. And, and for the first class especially, I'm like, they've been doing Wild Soul Movement. They wouldn't be on board if they weren't already into like – untaming themselves, going with the flow a little bit and trusting themselves. And I'm like, y'all, this is our first adventure together. So the inaugural class is also the experimental class. So we're going to try some stuff. Some of it, I'm going to be flying by the seat of my pants. Some of it is going to just make a lot of sense and be very informed by past experiences I have. I've been running trainings in different industries since I was 19 years old. So 20 years old. So I have a lot of experience in this type of thing. And so, but a lot of it is largely going to be experimental. So don't sign up for this unless you trust me because there will be pivots. I will be correcting course as we go along. So I was just really transparent about that. And I couldn't have possibly had a more perfect first group. They were in it, on board, trusting me, trusting themselves, trusting the process. It was so beautiful. Like 
sobbing at the end of the retreat. Like we did this gratitude circle. Uh, we, we appreciated like each person at the end. And we're just like, everyone is just crying. And like, it was for them. And they were like, can we do you? And I'm like, if you have to. And like, we're just like, it was beautiful. It was really like a family. Um, and so anything that came up that was like a little niggly or inconvenient or weird or whatever, we just address it. You know, Courageous Conversations is one of the chapters of my book. So um, we're just really good at, hey, okay, may, oh, could have done that better. Great. Noted for next time. Here's how we'll pivot around that. And so for this year's training, I've, I've, I've incorporated all that feedback. And last year's class gets full access to all this stuff, too. Um, but I just, uh, I'm not a worrier. I really feel like worrying is like praying for what you don't want. So I just focus on what I want, put one foot in front of the other, map it out to the best of my ability, pivot or correct course if I need to. And that works really well for me. I know some people could not stomach doing things that way. And so I'm not saying it's for everyone, but for me, it works. No, I'm inspired. I think that's incredible. And I think that that's the way that I've run business up until this point. And there is something probably in the last year, maybe it's just getting burned a few times, mm-hmm. like just feeling a little gun shy, where I'm like, oh, but all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> but that's no way to be a creative entrepreneur. I'm, I am far more inspired by the direction of thinking about what you want and getting really clear on what that looks like at the end so that you can work your way toward that than worrying about what could go wrong. Maybe it's even hiring a lawyer. We have a lawyer now and like their job is to go down worst case scenario. Oh, they are. (laughs) I'm redoing the contract for teacher training and I'm like, I don't even like looking at this stuff. I guess that I have to. But you know, I'm wondering if do you guys just feel like as your community grows, don't you just kind of just feel like more responsible because there's more people? Totally. I think that's part of it. And like maybe even just a little protective Mm -hmm. of what happens to them and what their experience is. And as this thing grows bigger than us, I probably that kind of control freak nature of me that's made me a great creative entrepreneur up until this point, but really learning how to build community. So that's what I wanted to ask you about is building community. So you shut down the Facebook group, but you can kind of open it up selectively, which I love that idea. I had no idea you could do that. Right? Storing that right here. <laughs> um. So my question, though, is with teacher training or with – do you have any other tactics for really building community that feels really good to you? And wh- where do you think the direction of community building in a really meaningful – authentic, dare I say, way is going right now for online businesses and offline businesses? Um, or maybe even just in your business? Just, I'm going to go with just in my business. You know, for me, it is, this is what I love about embodiment being a huge aspect of empowerment is that I get to just show up and be what I want to see more of and what I want to create more of in the world. And so I want to be open. I, and by the way, I'm reclaiming the word authentic. I'm over being like, dare I say, and I'm not, I'm not knocking you, but like we've all done that. Words like authentic and vulnerable and self-love that just have been like so overused, like it's still a valid word. It has meaning. And so we're going to just take that one back and Amen. not apologize for using I it. I love it. But like I want to show up as myself in the moment as I am, be vulnerable with discernment, right? Like I don't need to just be full frontal sharing, vomiting everything on the internet that people have not earned the right to hear as Brene Brown also says. 
Um, and so I get to model that. And through that, I get to invite interaction out in the open. This was another thing. I was like, you know, by having the closed Facebook group, there was a piece of me that felt, and, and by the way, this is my instinct. When I had reopened the group in 2015, it was a public group. And then within like a month, I made it private again because I noticed the engagement was lower. But my instinct around making it public was like, how about we stop hiding these conversations? And and that's like that's what programs are for. If you want to be behind closed doors, like that's what that's what we're doing in the program. That makes sense because that's the container. But in like a free space, like let's just let's show up with whatever we feel comfortable showing up with. So just my public social medias. Now on my podcast, I'm inviting people and like find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, let me know what you thought instead of come inside the Facebook group. You know? And 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 I'm okay taking the feedback that way. I like, to, I like to respond to messages. I read my own comments and messages and stuff. And there's probably going to be a point where I have to kind of delegate that out as well. But we could just keep adjusting as that happens. Because, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Into, other than this is another reason why I'm going in the direction of creating more live events, more weekend workshops, more retreats, more live gatherings where people can come together and do that in spaces that are more accessible. Maybe they can't join my 997 program, but they could pay 25 bucks to go to a local Wild Soul Movement class. Like, So that's when a teacher training is putting more people on the ground, like mobilizing an army, so the connection is more available in real life, if you will, rather than just in the online spaces. That feels good to me. This has been so fun getting to chat with you. What makes you feel most boss? Uh, Honestly, sitting in front of the ocean for two reasons. The ocean, I feel like, is like one of the most powerful forces in the world. So it just, just, it reminds me that I'm just like one small, humble piece of the planet, which makes me feel boss in a weird way that I can't describe. But also sitting in front of the ocean being like, I made a lot of great decisions that I could Come sit in front of the ocean whenever the F I feel like it. Amen to that. Thanks. Oh, that brings me back around to Malibu. So you went up to Malibu after six months. (laughs) Did you break your lease? What happened? Oh, crap. Yeah, I never finished the story. Oh, my God. So back in May, I had put – my friend had a real estate agent. So I'm like, just put me in an MLS search for rentals. Here's the price range. Here's the areas. Um, so I could just at least know what's available and on the market. So when it gets closer around August, like around this time, I thought I'd be looking for places, not already living here. So no, I didn't break my lease. I still, I'm on two leases right now. I might be playing, I paid rent on two places in August. I might do it again in September. Hopefully they find someone to fill my place before September 1st. Um, but this one place came through, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, I think that's my place. I cleared a whole day of my schedule, three days before my cart was closing on my launch. That didn't make, I made all these impractical choices, came out to Malibu, walked through, put in an application. I apparently beat out eight other applicants, one of whom offered to pay a thousand dollars more than the asking. Like this was just my place and it was just time. So, and I didn't, I didn't question any of the things even though they were illogical, didn't make sense or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going to get there and I'm just going to trust that I'm going to be supported because everything that's pointed me towards that this is the right decision has felt like life being like, just go, just get there, get your body there. You'll figure it out later. Congrats. May we all have more trust. I'm so inspired. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Agreed. 
Awesome. All right. Where can our listeners find more of you? So Facebook and Instagram, uh, both places. It's Elizabeth D'Alto. Easy to find. Uh, there's no one else with my name. Um, and our website is wildsoulmovement.com. I've loved getting to chat with you. Thanks, y'all. Thanks so fun. The show. This is my first three-way. <laughs> Congratulations. <Hey-o>. Thanks. <laughs> it's not our sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We have gotten so much amazing feedback over the years from listeners about how our podcast has helped them start to grow and uplevel their businesses. So we want to celebrate you. Here's the boss we're celebrating this week. Hi, my name is Mallory Casperson and I am being bought. I run a nonprofit organization providing online support programs and resources for people under 40 who are dealing with cancer at lacunaloft.org. And this week, I'm celebrating my first official day as a paid employee of my organization. We've been running programs and fundraising for two years, and we're at a financially stable milestone where we can start having paid staff. Staff allows us to offer even more support to even more young adult cancer patient survivors and caregivers. And I'm really excited. Thanks. If you're feeling boss and want to submit your own boss moment or win, go to www.beingboss.club slash I am being boss. This episode of Being Boss was brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring us. And you guys can try it for free by going to freshbooks.com slash being boss. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin, with support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.